0: Good morning and good evening, EPL State of Mind listeners. Welcome back to season two of the podcast. We're kind of opening off at a weird time. We had some technical difficulties to start off the season, similarly to how Man United has started off the season. But we are working through everything. You have Sean and I back on the mic recording what we're going to call episode 0.5. What we're really doing right now, <laughs> I just made that, so Sean, uh, obviously is is now in the mode for 0.5 we're doing a little bit of what we want to do earlier in the in the offseason pretty much a a rundown which we'll call it a highlight of the teams from a to z uh what they've done in the transfer window what they needed to do in the transfer window and it's kind of nice because we kind of get to see our projections through the first two weeks obviously at time recording we have two games going on today right now and then we have the gunners game tomorrow But it kind of gives us a gauge on to see if Sean and I actually know what we're talking about based off of the first week, which is always a crapshoot. But all I know is that I could not have been happier last week with the opening games actually just physically returning. It feels like a large part of what I am now doing in life is back, and I get to watch some more (laughs) soccer. So, Sean, I don't know about you, but how are you feeling, man?
1: Yeah, no, I'm excited. Um, Hope springs eternal every season on the first week. You know, you think you think this is the year that your team can win it. We know realistically it's probably Man City, but I'm excited <laughs> to to go into it all with you and uh yeah, we'll get into some previews today. Talk about some of the exciting transfer moves over the summer, maybe some players to look out for
0: that you know, maybe Warren is high highly thought of going into the season. So yeah, absolutely pumped,
1: pumped to get into it.
0: Yeah. I mean, a big part of what we're doing now is we we obviously talk throughout the season. At largely of our, you know, Man City fan, Kyle, who can't join us today, unfortunately, myself, the Gunners, we talk about them probably more than anyone. And then just because how they performed last year at Liverpool, we talked about a lot, but probably not as much as Sean we will talk about them this year being off to a good hot start. But we really want to get into the Burnleys. We want to get into Sheffield Knights. We want to get into the Crystal Palaces. We want to get into the the villas that we really didn't talk into. And this gives us opportunity to give you guys out there an insight to these teams that you might just see pop up on a weekly or weekend basis to basis and like, uh, you know, they probably aren't going to do anything, but we're going to be- give them a shot at getting what they are respected about. So Sean is probably one of the most knowledgeable guys I know in any sport. So he's going to give us the best analysis of some of these crazy ass teams. I've done my research, but we're both going to be bouncing off each other the entire time. And I'm really excited. So we're going to go ahead and get started with this rundown with one of the most exciting teams last year that we're not exciting but they came up and they were promoted last year, and they managed to stay afloat. And that's the Cherries, that's Bournemouth. So AFC Bournemouth, um, obviously they play at Vitality Stadium. And just to start off, because they had some changes, I'll kind of kick off with what my big thing was. So the Cherries last year, if you saw our, you know, summer schools out for the summer rendition, we didn't rank the Cherries very highly in their performance. But obviously, if you stay up from, you know, the championship to the Premier League, it's a it's a feat in its own. They finished. Uh, what are they, they finished 15th in the season, which for them, I believe, was outperforming what they did last year. Throughout the board, if you look at their team stats, they were 18th and 19th in pretty much everything last year. 19th position and possession, rather, shots on target per match. They were 18th with 3.5. Big chances created. They only had 35, which was 18th worst. You know, they missed most of those, missed 27 of them. They also had the worst expected goals. Uh, one of the worst expected goals at 39.5. So obviously their defense was in, in shambles as well with third most goals conceded overall, they were 18th, 19th in statistics. So I think they squeaked out a bigger win. So this year is a big year for them. I think the biggest benefit that they got is a new coach, in know, Iriola, which is from the team, Rayo Valencano which we did a little, Not won't lie to you, this year, my New Year's EPL resolution is to work on my pronunciations, but I think everyone enjoys the drinking game they have at home. So we'll see, we'll see. Sean, Sean, before we even started, said, Tess, we're going to go over one thing before we start this episode, and it is going to be Adoni Iriola and Rayo Vallecano. There's much more difficult ones further down the line, but I think he is going to be a huge factor he let his team to promotion the first year he managed them in the Spanish League Two, I guess, by winning the playoffs, and they were the last entry spot of six plates. So they didn't even, you know, really do too well during the regular season, but that's huge. Um, and he's kept them up there for two seasons in La Liga now. So he he currently plays the formation that the Cherries are used to, which is a four-two-three-one, which they played 11, 13 matches in last year. So I think this coach. The, the cherries brought in specifically because of his experience with a team similar to this and what they're able to do. So Sean, why don't you, why don't you get into what this team actually is able to do and, and give us our feedback on uh, and, Andoni. Yeah. So, um, you know, from his
1: style of play standpoint with Andoni Iriola, um, it's a high pressing team. They're going to look to play a high line, which is kind of something we've seen a lot from the top teams like Arsenal, like Man City, like Liverpool. Um, so it's interesting that, they, that, you know, they approach the game the same way uh, from that standpoint. Um, but like I said, very high intensity, high pressing um, and just going off the notes that you put together. And I think this is a great point. They really need more uh, creativity from midfield. Um, and they've made signings this summer to address that. Um, the first of which being uh, Hamed Junior Traore uh, from Sassuolo. He was a lone player for the second half of the season last year, played in seven games, um, but he did create the most chances per 90 during those seven games. Um, and then the other one that I wanted to point out was Alex Scott um, from Bristol City, probably my favorite player to watch just, you know, when FA Cup was on and they ESPN does basically their version of red zone where it just bounces around yep. every time it went to Bristol City. I was excited to see what he did on the ball. Um he can play both as a number ten or as a like an attacking number eight. Um he was the championship young player of the season, which is significant because the players who have won that award recently have come into the Prem and, and done really well, notably Michael Elise, Deli Ali, um, and uh, there's a couple of others that are awaiting me right now, but um basically the guys that come in and made an instant impact. Um, And then just the last one that I wanted to mention um, further towards the dribbling and creativity standpoint is Justin Mm Clivert. He was actually on loan at Valencia last year and led them in goals with six. Um, But he basically will be responsible for being the guy that can score besides Dominic Solanke, their number nine, who led them assists last year in second goal scoring. And then Philip Billing, the six foot six Danish midfielder who, was their top goal scorer and also really drove them on in some games. Um, I think pretty much stole a point uh, against um, uh, late in the season. And they also beat Liverpool based on his goal. So he's a big, big piece for them. Um, personally, I think with the signings that they made in January, that's what basically kept them up last year. And I think it's given them a solid, you know, core to build around. I, I actually think they're going to stay up again this year. I, I think they're going to progress probably finish in a similar position, but with higher
0: point totals and and much better with the advanced metrics. Yeah, I I would agree with that for sure. I mean, Alex Scott coming in at 25 mil a couple of days ago as their second highest signing of the season is huge. I mean, we did see, like you say, Traore through the, the second half of the season last year, and based off the first two games, it seems like he's picking up exactly where he left off. But, you know, I, I also agree with you. I think we'll see the Cherries live to see another season in the, in the EPL, roughly right around where they were. So I'm excited to see what they can do. Um, they already bettered their away score against you guys by about six goals. So that happened <laughs> yesterday. So progress yeah. is made. Progress is made there for the Cherries. Um, but we'll, we'll keep you guys in line on, on on their progress, obviously. And if you guys, guys have any questions, points or anything like that that you guys are big cherries fan less no but we're going to bounce around here so we're going to go to the greatest team probably on the planet i reckon and i think a lot of people agree with me on this one you know it's uh the arsenal fc so obviously they outperformed a lot of expectations over the season last season they finished in second place which is a three position climb from the previous uh, season in fifth so getting into the season i think there was a lot of hesitation whether or not Mikel arteto was the one because the only thing that he's had won in the past was the was the uh, fa cup um and he got lucky he won that early but the command had a season Arsenal had a season and this season we expect them to do the same if not better and that it for me now is kind of the benchmark so they finished around exactly where you should be in the table for second most goals, second most per average. They did have fifth most shots on target per match, which we need to increase. And I think a lot of that happened with the with the loss of Jesus uh, right after the World Cup. But, you know, Eddie Kedia did a well job, a good job keeping that up. But where my area of improvement needs to be is, is they were tied for second with most clean sheets right behind Man U in clean sheets with 14 and then obviously the third best for expected goals conceded the defense to me is where we need to tighten up a little bit and we did a good job and like Sean has mentioned a lot before is we lost William Saliba so that was a massive blow I think in our team of the year highlight we had pretty much everyone had William Saliba because of how much he meant to the defensive back line for Arsenal so you know it sucks that you know we had the longest run on the On top of the league on top of the table in EPL history and coming up short, of course, to man city who's just monsters in the long game and monsters on the run in and it's no doubt that will be a competitor this year and I'm really excited about a lot of the signings that we had. You know, we thought we were going to be losing Thomas party to Saudi Arabia, but we managed to keep him and we managed to keep a lot of our major players from last year so when I'm talking about about transfer action over the summer, Arsenal's got to be, for me, one of the best ones, right? So I look at their new signings and I look at the retention of the players because previously we did not have very good retention. We did not have good sales. Our value of our players are going up and they want to stay here. So we, we can talk about Gabriel, uh, who signed a new five-year contract, right? He's here until 2026, 2027 now. Gabriel Martinelli signed a new contract towards the end of the season. He's did an extension for three years. He's here till 27, 28. Sokka, which was our biggest one, who's arguably the most expensive winger in the world right now, other than maybe Vinicius Jr. Um, And he's right now going to be ours until 2026, 2027, which is great. Uh, Reese Nelson, who is a core academy player of ours that I know your cousin is a huge Reese head. So always got to throw that one out there for him. I love that signing or extension. Rather, he is a great last minute really dark horse kind of guy to expect to come out there and perform well, give his all. So that's great. And then William Saliba, who was probably one of the shakiest ones, because he came back for one season after being French defensive player of the year uh, and really had no history with Arsenal other than being loaned out all the time. So securing that back for us was gigantic. And then we did a really good job building off of that in the, in the summer. Unfortunately, Jorn Timber, 22 years old, uh, center back slash left back from Ajax. Um, massive, massive loss already in the depth chart for us with his ability to play center back. In, in the Netherlands, he plays in a back three system, so that gives a little versatility of you can see him kind of play central. He plays out on the side. He's a very aggressive, forward-thinking defensive back, so losing him to a knee injury like three or four others in the first week in the EPL is a massive, massive blow, but it will be exciting to see him come back, whether towards the end of the season or unfortunately next season, essentially, as the new signing. Um, we did a really great job getting our transfers done early. And the first one, of course, being Kai Havertz, which was a shock for a lot of people. I think a lot of people forget that this guy has the ability as a national team player for Jeremy to perform extremely well. He was also the leading goal scorer for Chelsea last season and had previous seasons at Chelsea performing very well. Chelsea all around sucked last year. So I think he gets a really big shadow of that. But hopefully he can return to kind of his international form. Everyone forgets he's also like six foot three. So he's a monster up top. But um, the big signing, obviously, is Declan Rice, a British record signing for 117 euros, which is absolutely bonkers. But when we look at what uh, Moises Casado and a lot of the other later transfer windows are going for right now, I'm thinking Declan Rice might be a little bit of a a proper price point, a little bit of a bargain here now because we're <laughs> okay, but uh, we'll we'll see how that goes throughout the season, and then obviously, you know, David Raya coming in to compete for number one uh, goalie spot against Ramsdale. This is huge, and to be honest with you, I know goalie goalies don't have too much stats to go on, but if you look at every single one compared to Ramsdale. Rea is, is a better goalie. And, you know, he faced more shots with Brentford. He saved more shots with Brentford. He had, I think, like the second or the third highest uh, goals saved, which is saving expected goals from opponents in the league, yeah. right behind maybe, I think it was Leno, who had number one. Yeah, it was, yeah. He was number three, so it's post-shot XG. Mm -hmm. Um, It was
1: Leno, Allison, and then Raya. Um, But then the other thing, and I think this is actually what really makes a difference and why um, Arteta was so big on bringing in Raya, is that his distribution is a lot better. And I think we saw that at the back half of last season after the Saliba injury, that there were some warts in Ramsdale's distribution game. Um, I think his shot stopping is is quality and, and he can make all of the saves, but I don't know if he has that very top, top level distribution. Um and the one thing that I think that's kind of interesting if Havertz plays more as a number nine than in midfield, which was what he's been rumored to be, mm-hmm. is with that height, like he's not he's not gonna like bowl you over. He's not Holland where he's incredibly strong, but he is good in the air. So those long passes from Raya, and then you can easily envision Havertz getting on a header knocking it on for one of Martinelli or Saka to use their pace to get in behind and get it and create a chance so I think it'll open up Arsenal's attack from some you know from some aspect. and the other thing I just wanted to mention about Rice is if Rice is playing as an eight and you have Partey in the de- the defensive midfield that is a really really strong midfield there's not a lot of teams that can compete with that yeah um, in terms of controlling games um, with steel and possession. And then you have Odegaard ahead of them who can serve as the, the facilitator and the creator. So um, I really like that duo. I, I think people have been kind of talking about Partey potentially moving on. And I think if that would be a mistake. I think the best Agreed. thing for Arsenal is Rice as an eight, Partey in the six.
0: Um, and, and, you know, just absolutely making the mid you know, playing through the midfield to hell for everybody else. Absolutely. I could not agree more. I'm excited to see where these guys finish. I'm I'm locking in a top 4 place for them. That's what it is. Obviously, goal-wise, it should be winning all the domestic where they can and then have a great fucking run in the Champions League. You know, that's that's the goal to me. Winning the title should be priority number uno or at least getting back to second place to show that we're here for the long game with all the signings and the and the contract extensions. We're not going away anytime soon. So it'll be a really exciting season to watch with these guys, you know. So very cool there. But one that we are also very excited to watch and to me has stolen the place from a Brighton in my kind of third tier team that or second tier team that I really like to enjoy and watch now is, is Aston Villa. So, Sean, why don't you get us started with Villa? Because I know you have a lot of players on here that you like and uh, kind of called this earlier in the summer that these guys are going to be a force.
1: Yeah, well, I think the big thing, obviously, was the arrival of Unai Emery last year in uh, in late October when Aston when Villa was in 16th, um, and then they finished the season in 7th. So obviously, you know, they really progressed once he took over. I think uh, he unlocked a lot of potential for some of their younger players. Um, some of the guys that, that, I, that I've highlighted I think it could be really important for them is uh, Jacob Ramsey in midfield, obviously. Um, He's only 22 years old, but he's been playing at the top level for three years now. Um, And I I think he's going to take a massive step with European football this year when they have, you know, they play in the Conference League. Um, But I also do like that they've added some depth to this squad as well. Um, They brought in Musa Diaby from Bayer Leverkusen, who is really good on the ball, a lot of pace. He's exciting and aggressive. Like he has no problem going, you know, driving right into the box. We saw that in the first week against Newcastle. Um, he'll take players on. He can kind of play either on, on the left or right. I think he prefers the right, which is fine. They have Leon Bailey on the left. They also brought in Pau Torres, reuniting him with Unai Emery from their time at Villarreal. Really good ball playing center back. And the unfortunate thing for him is that he's going to be thrown into the fire right away. Yeah. Um, Aston Villa is without their captain, Tyrone Mings, for the foreseeable future. He suffered a knee injury week one. Um, so one. Torres. Yeah, and unfortunately, that's the story. There's actually two big ones. They also lost uh, Emiliano Buendia, who's like a creative center attacking player, can play on the wings as well. He's out for the year with it with an ACL injury. Um, but they have supplemented their midfield with the addition of Yuri tielemans from Leicester um, on a free transfer, a guy that I think you you think pretty highly of. I do. I, correct me if I'm wrong. I do. He's been he's been linked with Arsenal uh, a few times in the past, and I think. Um, the big thing with him is just staying fit uh he has the talent and he's been someone that you know if, if you follow prospects, prospect or if you even play fifa career mode like me then you're a loser he's somebody you've been aware of and been on your radar probably for for four or five years now probably even longer than that um but he just he does struggle with fitness and i think that's that's the thing if he can you know maintain a run of games and, and be a contributing member of this team, that would be massive for Villa. Huge. Um, and then the other the other one was a signing they just made uh, earlier in the week, which was Nicola Zaniolo from uh, – from, where was he? Gal? Oh, he was at – is at Roma? Roma? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Centrist, <clears throat> yeah, he's a direct replacement for Buendia. They bought him on a loan-to-buy option. Um, another player who struggled for, with fitness, though. So that that is somewhat of a theme with the guys that are on this roster. Yeah. Um, so it really does come down to – you know, can can they sustain injuries and, and progress going forward? But I think this is a strong team. I expect them to finish in the top half once again. I think, you know, of the teams that you mentioned outside of the big six, quote-unquote, um, Newcastle is obviously the best one. Uh, but I would say Villa's right there with with Brighton, um, slicking it out for that seventh, sixth, seventh, eighth spot. So somewhere around there, I, I could see them finishing. But it depends on whether or not, A, they can – you know, cope with dealing with with playing football twice a week,
0: and then also, um, you know, some of the injuries that have already beset the squad. Yeah, it's it's tough, and especially for these smaller teams that don't have as much as um, a wallet as like an Arsenal, a Chelsea, a Liverpool, or you know the big six when they get introduced to European football, it's a it's a pretty big shock. But like you mentioned, Unai Emery might as well get a trophy himself for the ability that he has. To manage a squad in tournament play and regular he does it time and time again he did it with Villarreal he did it with Arsenal for the season when we made a the deep run in the Europa uh, the guy is a genius when it comes to managing a squad like that and you can tell by the signings that they've made he had a heavy influence in who he brought in because everyone that he brought in has cup experience he brought in you know Uh, The 24-year-old Diaby, he brought in 26 vet Torres, 26-year-old Telemans. Everyone has had experience with tournaments. And when you have a young team to start out with with them, getting this age and getting the experience is so critical and crucial to play a role in helping the others understand priorities, understanding the training that needs to occur, how you do all this stuff, and you did a fantastic job bringing some dead ringers with experience there. And then one guy I will mention as well, because we didn't see him since his uh, his Achilles, uh, he tore his Achilles last year, was their marquee signing last summer of Diego uh, Carlos at center back. We obviously lost Mings, which everyone I think is a little bit upset about that, but you brought in two very key center back roles. Last year they brought in one and weren't able to use them. So it's almost a new signing for him this year, but absolutely will be intense to watch them play. I think they played well against Newcastle for the first half of the first half, and then Newcastle's energy just went through the fucking roof. Um, But we'll keep our eyes on Villa for sure. Another one that we're going to have to keep an eye on because of the hot start they've gotten off to, a lot hotter than I thought they would get off to, is Brentford, the Bees. And right now, we're going to start off episode 0.5. The Bees are buzzing already. It's crazy. So they opened up with, I believe, two wins already. Yesterday, they won 3-0 against Fulham. And the other day, uh, last week, they also won. Let's see here. No, it was, I, it, was it was a draw. It was a
1: draw. They, they drew at Tottenham. That's right. But that's still a good result. That's still
0: a good result. That's a very good result. It was home, so a nice little London derby there to start off with. But to, to what I was <clears throat> thinking, and I still think they won't be as good as they were last year, mainly because they lost, in my opinion, their two best players. One, their goalie, who by far was probably the goalie of the season for a lot of people out there. And number two is Ivan Tony. over 200, you know, breaches in code of conduct for betting I caught up to him. And uh, he's out essentially till after the winter break. And to me, they're attacking Prowse was what struggled the most you know average possession they were 16th with 43.5% expected goals they were 7th with 57.9 big chances created with 66 and their leading goal scorer was Ivan Tony. so they have to find a void that they have to fill it so I know you know it's it's easier said than done but I think right now based off of their start and obviously they played most of the game yesterday with with a, a one man advantage against Fulham who got a red card, but they already have five goals for the season. So maybe it's not as big of a concern as mine, but definitely will be, I think moving forward if they go on a drought, um, a couple key signings that they brought in, obviously for me is Mark Flicken from SC Freienberg. Uh, he is kind of a second. He's, he's kind of like the Walmart man of uh, David Ray. I want to say he <laughs> He's 30 years old, which isn't horrible in terms of goalie age, obviously. Um, But he had a very good year in the Bundesliga. He was third in highest save percentage, sixth in highest saves per 90, and second in most goals prevented in the league. So right off the bat, they kind of got a discounted Raya. Uh, He only came in for 13 mil. That void essentially could be filled. I know a lot of people in the fantasy, Fantasy Premier League it's a it's a cheap pickup for him and I think it's of high quality I don't think it's at the same level as a lot of our guys here but I think they'd get a good job trying to fill that void and the other one for me I know there's one or two other more uh, is Nathan Collins 22 from wolves he's kind of he's an Irishman so in of your blood there Sean and uh, <laughs> and he is six foot four all right and their current center back is six foot six so these guys are going tall boy summer and it's it's working out for them so we'll see he he is young he's epl proven so he came in for 26 27 million euros really so i'm excited to see him play a little bit more and and be more of a key factor i think in this squad what are you thinking about the bees brother
1: yeah no i think you covered a lot of it obviously the big the big news is tony's not not available um this was a team that was phenomenal at set pieces last year. They scored the second most in the league. Um, and I think Collins will contribute to that as well. Obviously Ethan Pinnock is the guy you're referencing mm-hmm. who's six foot six. Collins is six foot four and really good in the air. So I wouldn't be surprised if he picked up two or three goals off set pieces this year. Um, the two guys that are really going to make the different make or break their season for me are Kevin Shad, who uh, is basically their, their, um record signing um he was signed in the off season or excuse me actually in january on loan and then on a, on a permanent basis this summer um and then brian and who basically is taking on oh, the yeah. role of ivan tony he played alongside tony last year he had nine goals and eight assists they're basically going to need him to put up 15 plus goals if they want to finish in a similar or higher position than they did last year um, but those are the two guys to look out for. I think Shada is six foot one and he had the highest uh, sprint speed times in the Bundesliga in the last two seasons. So he can fly. Um, so it will be interesting to see how he, you know, progresses with the team. He didn't, we didn't see see a lot from him after he moved over, but be interesting to see how they progress this year. Um, and another team, speaking of progression, uh, maybe the most progressive team in the EPL, Brighton Seagulls. Absolutely. Um, Gotta cover them, right? Sixth place finish last year with Roberto De Zerbi taking over from Graham Potter, in I guess that was around September, right? Right yeah. around the time the window closed. Um, and Brighton, a team that pretty much everybody had a soft spot for because they were fun to watch, but they didn't always get the results. Well, that changed last year. They got the results. They started to they they dominated games possession wise. They had the third highest possession in the league, the fourth most goals generated. Um, and the second most um, expected goal scored they also create a lot of big chances obviously we have we know about the man matoma yeah. on the left wing scored a beautiful goal this weekend against wolves um and we expect him to score you know to his output to increase even further i think you were on that train before anybody was this oh, yeah. past year i was a matoma um, head but they also yeah you you were on you were on before anybody else but i would say the the big thing for me is they made some really smart business this summer. Oh, huge. Knowing that they have Europa League football coming up, they've added depth in, in every line of the team. They brought in Yao Pedro from Watford, who was one of the best players in the championship for the last couple of years, and showed out in uh, in the Premier League with Watford when they were up in, twenty. I think that's 2020, 2021. Uh, Bart Verbruggen, who is a goalkeeper that they brought in from Anderlecht in the Belgian League. Um, he will give more competition to Jason Steele after the departure of R- Roberto Sanchez, who we'll talk about soon. He went to Chelsea. They also brought in uh, Mohamed Daoud from Dortmund and James Milner from Liverpool, both on a free. That gives them really strong experience. Guys who have been in, been in and won European competitions at the top level. They're top professionals. Um, and you know all the other guys around them can just learn from you know from the abilities and and the experiences that they have had so those those are two really valuable signings now obviously um the big question is how they can cope with the departures of two main pieces in midfield they lost to Alexis McAllister to for about I think it was 35 million to Liverpool Mm -hmm. and then obviously the record signing of Moises Caicedo which we'll dive into soon uh to Chelsea those are the two big losses but it, it's such a well-run club. You expect that somebody else will just pop up and, and explode onto the scene the way Matoma did last year or Enciso. And there's other guys that, you know, are, are very highly thought of that, you know, could potentially do it. Um, I know one of them is Fabrizio Bonanote, who we saw a little bit last year. Um, he, he's kind of like a central attacking midfielder, but can also play deeper as well. Um, and then they also have this kid, uh a, a gringa i believe his name is he's a wide wide midfielder he was at uh, union saint joely which is uh they basically their feeder club in belgium that's where matoma was previous to coming over this guy tripled matoma's output in terms of goals and assists in the belgian league last year so look out for him i think he could be a really really promising player uh for brighton so i think um I could see them finishing similar. I think they'll probably take a step or two back. They might get you know seventh place, but it's still a really damn
0: good team. Yeah, it's tough. I think this season is going to be the hardest because the teams in seventh fighting, or eighth or sixth fighting for that final European spot, whether that's for the conference they're gonna are just like this now. They all have extreme quality. I mean, we can pretty much bank that the next uh, Casado is going to come from Brighton's. Uh, South American recruiting team because they just do God's work, right? It's absolutely insane. But this is an extremely young team. They're the third youngest in the EPL, even with grandfather time himself, James Milner on the squad. Now, they're young. Their their average age is twenty four point nine, and it's extremely impressive. I mean, the biggest thing for me too is a lot of people don't look at the numbers, but with the sales that these guys have had. Over the past two seasons, they're like one of the. They might be the only team in the green in terms of just net sales and bring in between the last two seasons. They are positive one hundred and ninety five point four five million euros in just transfer money, which is insane, and they're not showing no signs of slowing down they kind of fell into what I thought was going to be a problem was what Leicester did after they won the premier league every season, they would go through who's our highest value player. Let's just sell one of them and then reinvest that money into our academy and reinvest it, not necessarily our academy, but into developing younger talent so that they could grow with us. Fortunately, I don't think Leicester had the backbone and the, you know, the actual physical program that, that Brighton now do have. Uh, but it's definitely a crazy thing to consider when you're looking at everyone spending millions and millions of dollars. Brighton's racking in the cash and still performing, b- beating Lutontown 5-1 and then beating, who was it yesterday? 4-1, was it Wolves? Wolves. They built yeah, Wolves 4-1. Wolves. So, you know, it's it's something else to consider. And I personally, at the beginning of the season, thought that Villa uh, would finish higher than Brighton because of the sale of uh, Casado and McAllister and just losing that large backbone like you're saying but we will see we will see one team though moving on also exciting young squad I think they are now the second youngest squad in the Premier League and now in the Premier League is Burnley so last year they were promoted right I think the fastest of championship history under Vincent Company, which is great to see the ex-Manchester City captain now back in the Premier League as a gaffer so they led the championship to a W with 101 points, which is the second highest since Leicester in 2013, 2014, who finished the league with 102 points. And they obviously finished it weeks and weeks, weeks and weeks before actual championship Sunday and championship Saturday and whatever you want to call it. Uh, one thing that I found was very interesting is that this is one of the only teams I looked into for typical formation that played all of their games the same they did 4-2-3-1 they played all 42 games in this formation so i think we can kind of expect what we're going to get from them obviously they were first in all the categories for the for the championship except for three areas expected goals they were third and sheffield united was higher shots on target per match they were second behind sheffield as well and the big chances created they were third with 69 behind sheffield Everywhere else, they, they cleaned up shop. So that's kind of if you have to pinpoint an area, obviously, being a newly promoted team, you have to improve in depth and quality all around. But just being having these numbers from the championship, my eye is attracted to their their production up top and getting that ability a little bit better. So that's my key takeaway for them there. Um, you want to get into the transfer summary a little bit more there, Sean, and, and whatnot?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So they had to be very busy this summer. Uh, they had a lot of players on loan last year. Notably, Nathan Tella was their top scorer. He returned to Southampton. Uh, they also had Taylor Har- Harwood-Bellis, who was from the Man City Academy. Um, and then there's also Ian Matson who returned to Chelsea. So they had three of their top players all on loan to Premier League clubs. So to, I guess, replace those losses, they brought in Sander Berg from Sheffield United. So that's a that's a double win. First of all, it strengthens their midfield with someone who has Premier League experience. He's big, tall, strong. He's the classic like Scandinavian. He's <laughs> handsome, he's <laughs> blonde, he's very pale. Yep. Um, but he's a good player, um, and, and it also weakens a relegation rival in Sheffield United, yep. a team who was you know, promoted alongside them um, via automatic promotion. They also brought in James Trafford from the Man City Academy. Um, he was England's goalkeeper at the U21 Euros this past summer and showed out. Uh, he had a clean cheat in the semifinal and the final and in the final against Spain, I'm sorry, Juan, cover your ears. Uh, he, he made a stoppage time penalty save to seal the victory for England. Um, he was brought in for just under 18 million pounds. I think he's going to be a really interesting player to watch at Burnley this year. Uh, and then a couple of other signs. They signed two Irish guys, um, which is always a good way to get into my heart. They signed <laughs> Darrell O'Shea from West Brom and Michael Obafemi from Swansea. Uh, Obafemi did spend time with Burnley last year on loan. He's built like a brick shit house. I think he's like 5'9", 180 pounds. This so, is insane. Um, I like him a lot. He, he scored five goals on loan in just 12 appearances. Um, and then O'Shea kind of gives them versatility. He can play center back. He can also play out uh, at right fullback. Um, but the biggest signing of the summer was Zeki Amadouini, a striker from Basel in the Swiss League. Um, he's got international experience. He's played five times in, uh, for the Swiss national team. Um, but he also broke out last year. He had 22 goals and five assists. And he was also one of the top pressing forwards outside of the top five leagues in in- um, top five leagues in Europe. Uh, He was in the 99th percentile for tackles by a striker and in the 89th percentile in interceptions. That information comes from fbref.com. But that's interesting because Vincent Kompany, the former Man City captain, likes to play a very up-tempo, aggressive style of play. And um, obviously, you know, the pressing side of things is is a key component of that. So having someone that can lead the line, is invaluable. I mean, we've seen it with a a bunch of other teams that, you know, that first player who leads the press has to be, uh, you know, have high football intelligence and, and um, also, you know, kind of awareness of angles and things, you know, where to push the ball essentially, because you're trying to filter it, um, you know, with pressing basically the idea from the modern standpoint is basically you're trying to push it into uncomfortable areas Mm -hmm. of the pitch where they either have to you know, make a difficult pass that you can win or they concede possession, they just huff it long. Yep. So um, we'll
0: see, how you know, how much impact Zeki can have, but be interesting to watch him from that standpoint as well. Absolutely. It's just an exciting team to watch, you know, anytime you have someone coming up from the championship and, you know, of course they, they get dealt the, the unfortunate hand having to play the champion of the Premier League on day one as, as per usual. But if you watch that first half of that first game, I think Burnley did a very good job uh, keeping at pace and not totally crumbling into uh, City's hands there. Unfortunately, they didn't get anything from it, but it's a nice thing to chalk off the building block right away too. Now that's off your table. Now you can focus you know, on a little bit other reachable wins and draws.
1: Yeah, I, I definitely, I think that's a great point too. And it, and it brings up something that I think is kind of interesting. We saw it last year a bit um, when they went to the FA Cup semifinal um they play their game regardless of opponent so they're going to play high pressing possession based football no matter who it is whether it's man city or you know mawa city they don't care they're 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 going to play their game um which you know is admirable but i think if they do have a couple of harsh results go against them that's the only way i could see them going down is just like basically a failure to adapt um, I do think that they have a much better squad than the other two teams that were promoted, and I expect them to stay up. But that's just one thing to make a note of, just because you mentioned it, it kind of triggered something in my brain. Sure, um, they got dropped. I mean, absolutely drummed by Man City last year. I think it was like six nothing yeah. in the semifinal, yeah. and they were just still playing the same way, playing out from the back. So when you play the top teams, they're probably
0: going to either there could be some ugly score lines, but I think overall they're going to make enough points to stay up. Yeah, for sure. Agreed. And if if you compare them to the teams that were actually promoted last year and not it's it's not very common that all three promoted teams stay up in the season, I think Burnley has a very good chance of outdoing these teams that were promoted in in expected finish from the start of the season than what they were last year. I think Fulham came out and surprised us just a little bit on how high they were able to finish. But I think Burnley has the ability yep. to do something very similar this season. One team going on to the next one here that has the ability to do a world, I'm going to say a universe better than what they did last year is Chelsea. You know, the London rival to my favorite team. Not the primary rival, but I think everyone's rival can be said this season just because of what they have done. I think the biggest thing is what they have done transfer-wise and what they have done to the market in general. I fully, and this is just me being biased and also not being a massive fan of the club in general, I think Chelsea has destroyed the market and and the value of what a lot of teams are now forced to pay because of their loophole that, Uh, They found with um, amortization, spreading their transfer fees across the extent of their new incoming players contracts. Smart. You got to give it to these guys. They found out what they needed to do in order to pretty much buy three new teams and afford it. And, you know, you could look at a thousand different articles. I read a really, really good one on The Athletic regarding the financial position that Chelsea find themselves in and why they are in FFP rules and regulations. And it's because they have offloaded their highest salary players between, you know, Kai Havertz, uh, Kofacic to Man City. Uh, They sold Mason Mount, an academy grad for straight profit from uh, to Man U. But these guys had the highest salary, which Over weekly salaries and year by year it adds up to almost essentially more than what transfer fees are these days. And if they then buy new players with transfer fees that are outrageous, but are spread over six to eight years, they're balancing the books and they're doing it very, very well. I don't think anyone appreciates what they're doing, but if you're a Chelsea fan, you definitely do. And they're doing it extremely well. Right now, transfer wise, and we could get into last year's stats, but they were so all over the place, and they finished in twelfth place, which was Chelsea's worst finish in decades. Um, they were poor everywhere. They needed to increase their more so their attacking prowess because defensively, we we talked about this with my brother last year on our Chelsea Spotlight. Their so- their defense was very solid. You know, they took a couple hits already before the season started with defenders becoming injured with Fofana. And then, of course, the man himself, Reece James, picking up a hamstring injury a week number one or Fat week two. It's crazy. I mean, maybe he's got to lay off the fish and chips or something because it is just not a good look to have your new captain um, and your one of your best academy grads not being able to stay fit for more than nine games a season. I mean, it's absurd. So there was a lot of areas that needed to increase in. I think the forward attacking mindset, winger, wingers, central players, and then, of course, strikers was where they needed the most. They still have Lukaku sitting on the salary wage as well, which is they're still trying to figure out how to get him off. But I think the biggest thing for them is the marquee signing that was already happened last year with Christopher Nkuku. uh, Unfortunately, tore, I believe, his ACL. And he's out until after he's out for probably four months. I don't know if it was a major tear, but he definitely did something there. And then you have yeah. uh, the new signing, which I would earmark or dogmark as one of their greatest ones this summer as well, as as Nicholas Jackson. Obviously, they have Casado come in. They have Robert Sanchez, a new goalie, coming in. Romeo Lavia coming in at 19. But he's going to sit the bench till he's probably 21, uh, which is unfortunate for him. But Nicholas Jackson, 22, striker from Villarreal, comes in a ton of experience, um, and is just in a really, really, really exciting player to watch from Senegal. Uh, he came in at $38 million. I think we saw it from the preseason Chelsea had that he's going to be a key factor. He put in goals. He put the high press that they lacked last season, and he's really able to hold up the ball and pass it very well with the extremely pacey wingers that Chelsea have, Mikhail Mudric and uh, Raheem Sterling, who Raheem Sterling I shat on last season because he is their highest-paid play- player with – 350,000 pounds per week, which is absurd. And he needed to perform better and he was injured, but I'm still shat on him. He looked great the first two games. So that's kind of my standpoint on where Chelsea is. I think they're my dark horse in this whole thing and finishing top four, um, before they signed Casado, I had Liverpool finishing higher than them, but I think it will be tough to, to really outplay this team if they start firing on all cylinders.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I understand that. I just think, personally, um, it takes time for guys to gel. We saw that last year when they brought in, you know, as you mentioned, two teams of players, and I don't see it happening this year either. Um, I think they have a lot of talent, and within Cuckoo, my my opinion would definitely change, because I think he's just automatic 15 goals. He to let yeah. in. He can contribute five assists as well. Coming over from Leipzig, I'm actually really excited to see him, and I'm, it's unfortunate that he got injured. Yeah. Um, but I just don't see enough clinical finishing from this team there's too much reliance on on Nicholas Jackson to score right now mm-hmm. um and Casado's not going to do it Lobby is not going to do it and Kuku's injured it, it, and and then you go down the list and it's like who's who's going to be the next top goal scorer Sterling who has looked improved but not amazing mm-hmm. Mudrick, who we know can't finish Yep Medowecki who's still very young and unproven and then it's you know it falls off even harsher from there um, the other thing is I I also hate their goalkeeping situation. They loaned out Kepa Ariza Balaga to Real Madrid yep. after the injury of Courtois. They uh sold Edward Mendy to to you mean to Saudi Arabia, but they brought in Robert Sanchez from Brighton who was not that good for Brighton. He got bumped to the bench for a reason and they spent almost 30 million on him. Yeah. Um I think he's going to cost them points throughout this season and I just I see this team just on the outside looking in when it comes to uh, top four, top five. I personally think it that they'll probably finish sixth, yeah, um, and just miss out on Champions League. Um, just, just a note on that too. Champions League this year, there's going to be, or next year rather, there's going to be four teams added, um, and two of those spots go to the best leagues, basically. So, you know, the the discussion last year and and previous years was always around like, oh, getting top four, getting top four depending on the performance of teams in the Premier League and European competitions, it should be a top five next year. Yeah, um, Those teams go to the Champions League. But I, again, still, I think obviously they have the talent to do it, but you know, it's a big ask for Pochettino to pull this all together. I see them finishing behind Liverpool
0: and Newcastle. Yeah, I mean, Liverpool and Newcastle off to both strong starts. We saw the marquee matchup already of Liverpool versus Chelsea which I felt that, unfortunately uh, for you, I think Chelsea dominated that after roughly halfway through the first half. um, Still, Liverpool is struggling with missing a few players, which we'll get into, which played into, I think, uh, a large portion of that game. But it will be exciting to see what rebirth Chelsea can have. But enough of the big spenders. Let's talk about a team that doesn't have as much money to go through and can barely hold on to their own players, but did a good job of holding on to their key player over the summer, not to lose him to Chelsea. And that is Crystal Palace. So last year they finished 11th. And like Sean said last year, you can count on three things, death, taxes, and Crystal Palace finishing in 12th place. So they actually did one better this past season and they finished in 11th. So kudos to the other London team. Um, They were just average all around last season. They went through, after the World Cup break and the winter break, a horrendous run where they had not scored a single goal in, what, 8 to 10 games, I want to say it was, which was absolutely bonkers. Um, They did not win any of those games, obviously, and it was, in result, the sacking of one Patrick Vieira. So they brought back in their their main boy, Roy Hodgson, who seems to be going back in time. He seems a bit more spry on his feet on that sideline, which is nice to see. And I'm excited to kind of see where this team goes. Uh, one big thing for me is their loss of Wilfred Zaha to Galatasaray over in Turkey. Uh, Zaha obviously has been and will always be probably one of Crystal Palace's best players. There are two or three players Possibly who can rival that provided they stay with him. But Wilfred Zaha is obviously a massive loss to me. But I know you are a gigantic eagle head. So I will, well, specifically with the two couple of players that we're going to talk about. So I'll pass the baton over to you to talk about Eze and Olise.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, you alluded to it before, but they just were able to extend Michael Olise to a four year contract extension, which was huge. Um, There was rumors that he had a 35 million pound release clause that was going to be activated by Chelsea. Um, But that I guess turned out not to be the case. And they extended him on a long-term deal, which is massive. Um, He had 11 assists last year, which was tied for second in the Premier League. And then they also have my boy, Eberechi Eze in midfield, who can just glide past players. He's one of the the silkiest (laughs) and most entertaining players in the league to watch. Um, if you listened to this podcast at all last year, I probably waxed poetic about it <laughs> million different times. Um, but I'm a big fan of his, and I also like their their summer business. Mm. Obviously, Zaha is a blow, but I think after Hodgson came in and they immediately started getting results with Zaha s- sidelined by injury, it yep. showed that they can win games and stay up without him. Um, the big the big question marks are are obviously can they retain. Alise, you know, for the next 11 days. And then also the other one is Chuck Dukure, who is their um, holding midfielder who's been linked to Liverpool. If they can hold on to the two of them, I think with the additions of Jefferson Lerma, who's an experienced Colombian midfielder from Bournemouth, um, and then Matthias Franca, who might be the most exciting young player added to the Premier League this year. Um, He was from Flamengo in Brazil, and he's got all the trademarks of of a Brazilian winger. He's got a bag of tricks. He's got pace and he's got flair yeah um, he, he'll he do some some wild stuff so i'm excited to watch him a little bit more as as the season progresses yeah um but but the big thing like i said obviously is just retaining those players If they can keep a hold of their star men i think you know finishing mid-table should be doable but if they were to lose a ducore and an elise then they they'd be in the relegation scrap i think it's it's very tenuous their grasp on Uh, you know, those players and also, you know, what they can do going forward. Um, The other, other thing I just wanted to mention, they do have a really strong center back pair with uh, Joaquim Anderson and, and uh, Mark Ahe, who was just named new club captain after Zaha's departure, which that when you compare them to the other teams in the the same tier as them, you know, the Everton's, the Fulham's
0: um, of the world, they have a lot stronger center back duo than any of those teams. Yeah, Absolutely. They have uh, their first real challenge coming up on Monday, which is tomorrow at three o'clock versus Arsenal. And if they can manage to keep that game within, you know, grasp or you know, close, I think Sean's points of having one of the most exciting uh, trio with skill with Ize Olise, and then even their their strikers that are filling in the spot for Zaha. I think they got a great opportunity there. And their back line is, has always been solid. When they were on that losing streak, they were not losing games. Four nothing, three one, two nothing. They were losing it two one, one nothing. Very low scoring games that they were just really struggling to bring to the finish line last season. So I think they they definitely have the opportunity. I don't think they will, but if they continue in the path that Sean's laying out for them, I think I think there'll be another Teth tax death and finishing in twelfth place finish for them. So we'll 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 see what that that brings for them. We are going to stop it after Crystal Palace. The next segment, which will come out next week around the same time with Sean and I, uh, we will pick up where we left off, which will be talking about the Toffees. Uh, which who knows? Based off of, I think they're playing later today. Actually, they're playing right now, and they're lo- <laughs> they're losing two. No- Sorry, Blake, they're losing two nothing. <laughs> two, two... <laughs> <laughs> They're losing nothing uh, Two nothing to Aston Villa. Uh, John McGinn has scored. And then Douglas Louise, who for Austin Villa last year was one of the better players that they resigned over the summer, who was linked to Arsenal and a lot of other teams just at the end of this transfer window scored as well on a penalty kick. So not what you want to see as a toffee right now. It looks like their live win probability is 3%, but we'll uh, we'll, we'll get into the toffees and what they need to do to bounce back from what could be an imminent to two loss streak already to start the season. But the end game here guys is I'm just excited to be back talking about it with Sean. And then Kyle will be back on with our regularly scheduled programming throughout the season. We'll be on Mondays and Tuesday nights. It really depends on when my, uh, you know, adult grandfather kind of soccer season ends in Hoboken. I'm still trying to chase the dream. I'm thinking that inter Miami might have some extra cash to spend. And I've always wanted to go down South. So see if they can see me on the, the pitches in Hoboken. But with that being said, uh, we're going to close this one out. You do remember that um, it's very excited. I was going to announce next week, but because we're kind of getting into a lot of specifics with teams and players, it probably fits best here that if you are in our English premier league EPL State of Mind Fantasy League, give us a follow on Instagram, on Twitter in order to win the prize of the century, which is a brand spanking new 24-25 season of team of your choice for next season, enter that season in style, you have to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. And then give us that follow or download and like on your platform of choosing for the, the vocalists of myself and Sean on on our podcast. So make sure to listen to this because we're going to be dropping a lot of good tidbits throughout the season on what players are looking great, which ones you might be able to have on the bench for a little bit cheaper. And then obviously we'll give the first place team in there right now, which we have almost 40 teams in the, in the league, which is a great turnout. So very excited about that. First year we're doing this, but make sure you uh you give us those follows. Sean, anything to sign off with, my man?
1: No, I'm just, uh, I'm excited to be back. And uh, yeah, just look out for more content. We'll be recording our regular episode uh, later on in the week. And then like James said, we'll also be doing a a preview of uh, some of the other teams in the league uh, next week as well. So be on the lookout, but I appreciate everyone taking a listen and any questions you have, obviously reach out to the
0: two of us. Um, Maybe we'll talk about on the pod. Yeah, absolutely. With that beautiful sign off. Welcome back, everybody, and may your team prosper in the new EPL season. Till, I guess, tomorrow night. We'll talk to you then.